Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There is a story for everyone here because every story matters. Welcome everyone to the Storybox. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the Storybox together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. Hey, my friends, I hope you all had a wonderful Christmas. At the time that this episode is dropping, it is the day after Christmas. Now, this week's conversation is with Anjali Bamani, and she was born in Cleveland, Ohio, and raised in Orange County, uh, California, by doctors Ella and Barat Bamani. After performing in school and community theatre for most of her young life, she went on to earn a degree in theatre from Northwestern University's highly acclaimed theatre school with a certificate in musical theatre. After leaving Northwestern, she went on to perform at several uh, regional theatre companies, including the Goodman, the Looking Glass Theatre Company, Chicago Shakespeare Theatre, Berkeley uh, Repertory, a theatre and many, many others. She was actually, uh, she did a, a, a show with the acclaimed Andrew Lloyd Webber, uh, who is Phantom of the Opera, uh, acclaim. Many of you may know that uh, theatre, that show, you name it. But uh, Anjali performed in Andrew Webber's Bombay Dreams, going on to take over the role of Bollywood Steve Rani in the hit musical, other collaborations includes working with Tony Kushner and Maurice Sendak on their production of comedy uh, on the bridge, um, Brandybar, the world premiere of the existence starring and with the music by T.Y. Taylor. Um, and she's been in many, many other uh, hit TV shows such as um, NCIS Los Angeles, uh, Modern Family, uh, Marvel's Runways. She's also been in the new Marvel uh, show, uh, Miss Marvel. And many of you probably would have seen her in that as well. She's been in a lot of games such as Fallout, Apex Legends, and many, many others. Now, Anjali also has a book called I Am Fun Size and So Are You, which is available right now 
wherever books are sold. And I, I really, really enjoyed my conversation with Anjali. We cover a vast array of different topics, which I think you guys are really going to enjoy and love. Uh, and Anjali is just a, an amazing human being. So I think you guys are going to love this one nonetheless. Now, I did want to say that uh, I'm only releasing one episode this week because I am taking a little bit of a, a much-needed break uh, from doing episodes and, and releasing episodes. Now, that does not mean that I won't stop releasing episodes. That means that I am just going to be taking a little bit of a step back and uh, releasing not as many for the time being. And then we'll pick up uh, where we left off three episodes a week in the new year. Because if you guys don't already know, three episodes a week plus everything else that goes on, on with the show is a lot of work. Not that I'm complaining in any way, shape or form. It's just that I want to take care of my my health overall and uh, I'm doing a, a therapist course next year, which is exciting. So I'll be uh, focusing on, on many other areas as well. But that does not mean the show won't still be going on because it will. So rest assured... Rest assured, I should say, that uh, you'll be getting some incredible stories being unboxed every single week. All right, my friends, I hope that you have a wonderful new year, that you stay safe, and I'll see you guys in the new year uh, for more exciting unboxed stories. But today, you know what time it is. It is time to journey with me in this story box as we listen to the incredible wisdom, the advice, and the stories of none other and Anjali Amani. Yes, thank you so much. What an introduction. You like managed to scoop in my whole life all in that one paragraph. Well done. I, I like to say that I'm quite talented. No, I'm just kidding. I don't, I don't mean to brag in any way, shape or form. I <laughs> like to say that about you too. I get the sense that that's not only your opinion. <laughs> thank you for that. I really do appreciate it. <laughs> Even though I was just trying to boost my own horn there for a second. But my very first question for you, Anjali, this is a, a question that I love starting off all my conversations mm. with, which is what does success look like for you? Oh, ho, ho, wow. Start with a big one. I have to. Success to me really looks like having a positive influence on people all over the world, like being able to empower people through whatever it is that I'm doing. It doesn't matter what it is, but being able to help people see the great things about themselves and be able to take that confidence and take it out into the world. You know, my, my weapon of choice, as I like to call it, is storytelling, right? Acting, storytelling um, uh, in, in all different mediums. But just because that's my weapon of choice does not mean that's my purpose. Yeah. And I do feel like I, I, my purpose is much more aligned with what we just talked about success being really wanting to leave behind a legacy of people knowing how, how cared for they are, how loved they are and how powerful they are. And, uh, and I've been very, very, very lucky, particularly this year, but also just, you know, in, in my whole career, I've been very lucky to be a part of so many projects and, and creating so many projects that did have that effect on people in one way or the other. You know, so um, it's a constant, um, I don't want to say battle. It's a, it's a constant ride. You know, you're still, you're, um, there's, there's no, ooh, I'm successful and now I stop. I, that's not, that. I don't think that's in my 
lexicon. Like I don't even understand what that looks like. Um, but there is get becoming more and more successful or in different ways to achieve the same thing. And that's kind of where I, where I operate from. When was the moment that you realized that that was success for you? Has it been sort of like, I think you mentioned that it's sort of like it, it's changing for you over time. I don't really believe in like the moment of the big break. I do believe that along the way, we, you know, instinctually as humans, we want to think, oh, this is the thing. This is the big thing. And once I do this thing or get this thing or am this thing, everything will change. And as time goes on, you start to learn that, "Mm, no, um, that's outside circumstances don't really do that for you. It's it's something inside. It's those it's those special moments that you then will carry with you. So while there have been projects that have been more successful than the others. You know, my first Broadway show was probably the first taste I had of, of, of that level of success. Um, what stuck with me was not, Ooh, I'm a lead in my first Broadway show. It was afterwards when I went to the cast party and my father who had wanted to be an actor when he was growing up and became a surgeon instead, my father gave me the biggest hug and started crying. That to me, like that's, that's a big break. If you're going to call a big break, that's a moment that sticks with me. So I don't know that there was any one moment that I was like, wow, I'm finally successful. But there have been several moments like that one where I feel like I have been successful at the specific thing I was doing at the time. Um, When it comes to television, I mean, I've had so many chances to work on so many great shows. I don't think there has been one in particular. Each one of those has just been how much more fun can we have? Um, I had so much fun doing Alex Inc. with Zach Braff because that was a very new kind of show for me. Um, and doing this show called Kevin Probably Saves the World with um, uh, uh, Jason Ritter, who is such a sweet, 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 sweet man. Um, and the feeling of enjoying myself at work, that too, like realizing I don't have to. I guess, you know, what's probably the the, the closest thing to that moment that I realized, just two two parts. One is... Um, right around, it wasn't a moment, but it was like a period of time when I realized the the popularity of the game Overwatch after we had put it out. And I started to realize that my mission and my, perp, my, my passion had started to really come together um, in a very organic way because it was such a positive environment that they had created in the game and around the game. And the community was so wrapped up in that positivity. And I loved that so much. Um, but also I, I, and this is, I think the first time I'm publicly admitting this, I was talking with a friend of mine I guess it was during right after right 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 when lockdown was lifting here in Los Angeles and and we were sitting outside on my patio and talking and she said to me well Anjali you know you you never have to worry that you're not going to work again like you know that you're you're going to keep working and I stopped and I thought huh you know I haven't really felt that but that might actually that might be true that might be that's possible And not because of anything that I have achieved or any, ooh, yay, she's now a big star because I'm not. I'm just I'm just an actor pursuing the same thing that so many of us are. But realizing that there are so many opportunities you can create and you can own and you can be a part of that. There's no dearth of work. There's no there's no dearth of creative outlets. Um, So that 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 was that was a pretty lovely moment. I was going to ask you whether or not you have you've ever been worried about getting sort of like the next gig or the next role? Oh, because- yes, absolutely, one hundred percent. I don't know that there's an actor alive who hasn't been through that once, let alone numerous times in their lives. 
and and sadly, I know many actors, whether, you know, hearing of this in, in famous actors' lives or just knowing friends, I think there are a lot of actors who never really never really get away from that feeling of like, Oh God, what's next? Oh God, what's next? Um, so for me, I think the thing that has really, um, mitigated the pain of that or the, or the, or the, you know, surfacing of that over the years is making sure that I'm always creating something that I have control over the creation of, um, this book was a good example of it um, because it was something that I very much wanted to do. It was something that meant a lot to me. I felt like it was right in line with that purpose that I mentioned to you, like let really about letting people know you're not alone, no matter where you are in your journey. So it was very heartfelt, but it was also something that was uh, self-serving in the sense, not self-serving, but, but, but good for me in the sense that it was a creative process. I had full control over whether or not anyone else did anything, this book was going to get done because I was the one making it happen. And there's a there's a, a satisfaction to that that you don't always get as an actor when you are solely depending on auditions and being chosen and booking work that someone else is in charge of deciding whether you get to be a part of or not. Um I think the creative process more and more in general these days, the, the playing field has been so leveled with technology, with access, you know, people are making amazing movies on their cell phones. Um, uh, I, I think, I think that that mindset for me is definitely a thing of the past, but not because I'm getting booked so many times by other people because I and my friends don't sit still well and we love creating. And I don't really see any of my friends unless I'm working with them for the most part. So we like to work together as much as physically possible. Well, it goes back to what you were saying earlier, how you love being a storyteller. And that first and foremost is part of you, who you are. And that also informs everything else that you do. So even though you may not get a job per se, you still have the ability to control your ability to, to share a story, whether it's in the book form, whether it's in a movie form, game, whatever it is. So as long as you're going back to that, which also informs your level of creativity, it also just, it's like this uh, huge package <laughs> that yeah. is, is all is all like starts with the storytelling aspect and then everything else just goes inside it. So yeah, I like to think of it as, as branches of a tree, yeah. you know, and as a, as a tree gets older and older, new branches sprout and some of the other branches might not be thriving at the same time as other ones may be thriving. And so it's, it's like, it's like diversifying your portfolio in, in investments, you diversify your creativity the same way so that when one thing is maybe not flying or not moving forward fast enough, or for whatever reason, not, not happening, you have all of these other options. And don't get me wrong. Like, as an actor, and I feel like it's important for people to know this, as an actor, disappointment is a large part of the journey. Yep. But I think, I personally think a lot of people call that rejection, and I don't think that's what it is. I think it's massive disappointment that you didn't get something. We turn it into rejection when we say, I didn't get this job and therefore I'm a loser. No, no, no. You just didn't get this job. Full stop. Be sad. Feel badly about that. But don't make it a reflection on your own abilities, your own talent, your own worth as a human being, then you're rejecting yourself. Yeah. So that disappointment definitely shows up regularly. And it, and it does mean that you have those moments where you are, you are despondent or you are sad, or you have to call up friends and get some support. But when you do have as many creative irons in the fire as you can, even if they're not things that you're putting out publicly, 
I think the more you have that built into your life, the more satisfying it can be and the less time you spend on that disappointment when it pops up. Well, I've become more comfortable with the level of disappointment that does come from that no. Uh, so when I was first starting this, for example, I got so many no's, like no one even wanted to talk to me. And, and uh, I, if I'm honest, like I did associate it with, oh, it's me because they don't want to have a conversation with me. So what is it about me that they don't like? But there's many, many reasons as to why they probably didn't want to talk to me because the show wasn't as big as they wanted it to be. And there's so many other reasons, but I just made it all about me and my identity and which is a big mistake to do. So We're I think all, for, it's a mistake. It's a mistake, but we all we all do that at one point or another in our yeah. lives, no matter what is we take it personally you know especially if we care so much about it or it's something that we have built from scratch like this show for you um what i have also tried to do over the years in order to not take it personally is to separate myself the person from myself the the product the creative product and i don't mean to make it you know that it's not cut and dry and it's not black and white and it's not you know it's not money it's not about that being the product but it is it is you are being looked at in terms of what you will bring, what where you fit in this thing. How do you fit their vision? You're not being looked at as are you a good person or a bad person? Yeah. Um, one would hope that that's not, you know, I mean, obviously, if you're enjoyable to be around, that's a big plus. Um, and sometimes that is the big difference between someone getting a job and not. But um, peeling apart those two aspects of ourselves, especially as artists, where where we are so much of the project, our heart or whatever we, we are contributing is so much of the project uh, of the project. That's been a, a helpful thing for me to do. Yeah. I've, I've had to learn the hard way many, many times as well. And, and finally now I just say, you know what? It, I, I can, I can choose to allow this to bring me down or I can use it to bring me up. And I say, lean into the disappointments and the rejections yeah. and, and all those things, because it's only going to serve you for your benefit if you allow it to. So, and just move forward with a little bit of grace on yourself. And then you never know that one person saying no to you could lead you to something better anyway. So. Absolutely. And it sounds very trite and very cliche when we say things like this. And I used to think that a lot, but there've been too many, there's been too much evidence in my own life not to recognize that quite often a giant no turns into a giant yes somewhere down the line. It's just not how you looked, thought it was going to look. And I still, look, I still don't know what the future is. So when something, when there's a giant no in front of me, I think it's a giant no, but I have to consistently remind myself, no, you know better. Figure out why the no was no. Is there anything I can do about it? Is there anything I can change, make better, assess, evaluate? Great. And if not, next. Yeah. Move on to the next thing. There's always going to be a next thing. Well, yeah. at least I believe so. But yeah. um, I did want to ask you, going back to the very beginning for you and starting to act and and pursue this kind of career, you actually, uh, you know, you're on Broadway uh, you, with the acclaim of uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber. I mean, yeah. being able to work with him, Phantom of the Opera acclaim. I mean, mm -hmm. just wanted to say Phantom because my last name's Phantom, even though it was spelled differently. You got to throw but, it in there. You got to throw it in. <laughs> I just had to throw it in there for you. you got to do it. How did that all come about? 
I mean, I wish it was a sexier story, but it was auditions. You know, um, the first Broadway show I did is a much cooler story. And that came out of, I was living in Chicago. I went to Northwestern in Chicago for school. And then I stayed there for several years doing theater afterwards. And one of the directors that I began to work with um, uh, often, her name is Mary Zimmerman. Mm. Incredible, beautiful creator, MacArthur uh, uh, award winner. Like she's just, she's just a wonderful, wonderful artist who has just incredible visions. And one of the shows that she created was called Metamorphoses. And it was a series of Greek, uh, Greco-Roman myths. And the show was set around a pool of water. And so it was a very unique show. It was a very, it was a, it was just a very satisfying show to do. Now, when we started it, it was in a 500 seat theater in Chicago. And I think we were making something like $210 a week. That show, we, we invested so much in that show and she invested so much in us with her heart and soul that we ended up taking that show around the country and then off Broadway and then to Broadway with many of the very same cast members because she was so, she was so, um, tenacious about making sure it was her cast and they didn't just replace us all with stars, uh, which is a very rare thing. That's, that's, that's an incredible thing that she did for us. And, um, so my first experience when people are like, wow, you were on Broadway. I'm like, yeah, but it didn't feel like it when I was there. Cause it was really just me playing with my friends again. We just, it was the same show. It was just with a bigger budget and a bigger theater in a different city. And so that, that moment of, oh, wow, we're on Broadway every now and then I'd be like, I'm sorry, wait, is that, is that, I guess we are, I guess that's actually what's happening. So it was a very like, mellow slide into it. It wasn't like, ooh, I booked a job and now I'm on Broadway, which I think is the the experience for most people when they have their first show there. I never thought that I would be doing Broadway. I pretty much assumed that I would be doing regional theater for my entire life. And I was cool with that at the time. So once that happened and, uh, you know, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. I knew how awesome it felt. That's when I kept, I stayed in New York and kept auditioning for things and did an opera and did some other shows. And then, um, I got to audition for Bombay dreams when it was, when it came over from the UK and, uh, and the rest is history with that. So we did that here. We did that production here. Um, and then it closed, you know, like that's, that's the other, that's the other thing about being an actor. There's, there's the joy of doing the show, but it always ends. Yeah. Unless you're doing like Phantom of the Opera, in which case you're in it forever. But um, there's always a there's always a point where you have to say goodbye to something and move on to the next thing. So, and but yeah, great. You also mentioned that that was the one where your father came up to you afterwards. And the first, and one, the first one, Metamorphoses. That was the one. That oh, was no. the one. Yeah. So yeah. it's fair yeah. to say that your parents were very supportive. Very, 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 very supportive. Like like uh, ridiculously so because the thing is i think with my parents they they raised us in such a respectful way that they understood that even though we're younger we are still intelligent human beings who are just picking up more and more wisdom along the way so they never treated us like kids so when we said hey i'm really into something and we proved it through our actions they were like great we're 100 behind you what do you need to do it better as long as you keep your schoolwork going what can we do to make that better? You need voice lessons? Great. You're going, we're going to drive you there every day. Or you need dance? We're going to drive you there every day. We, my parents got season tickets to uh, some of the theaters in the area here, the Amundsen Theater and the, the Doolittle at the time, and uh, so that I would be able to see professional theater. 
regularly. And we would have that experience together. And, and like I said, they already had an appreciation for it. So hopefully it was fun for them too. It wasn't just tedious. Um, and then when I went to college, it was the same thing. If this is what you want to do, great, be good at it. Make sure you can make a living at it and work hard at it like you would at any career. Don't, don't just, you know, flop around waiting for stuff, um, which is not my style anyway. Uh, so that kind of support, I really think, I know I'm biased because they're my parents, but I think that kind of support that says, cool, this is what you're going to do. These are the things that you have to do in order to be able to do it. So make sure you can do it. That kind of support that says we're behind you, but you got to do this yourself. I think that's a very empowering thing because then you are responsible, not just for your own failures, but you're responsible for your successes. You're fully responsible for it. You can take ownership of it. And they gave me that gift. It um, sort of reminds me of one of my favorite stories is actually funny enough from Matthew McConaughey when his dad tells him don't half-ass it. Yeah. So he gave him permission, but he also gave him that level of accountability. Like if you're going to do this, you give it your role, right. but you're also responsible for the fact that if you stuff up, it's on you, not on them. Yep. So yep. don't half-ass it. <laughs> exactly. Um, it's, the same, it's the same thing, right? If you're going to do it, be good at it. Yeah. And I, and happily, you know, I and my brother both were, were very, uh, we'll call it high achievers in school. So that was already a part of our, our already a part of our makeup. There, there, half-assing is not so much in my DNA. In fact, in recent years, uh, I have had to, um, I've had to lessen my perfectionist qualities, like my need for things to be go, 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 and things to be at the best, because sometimes things don't get done. Yep. If you're waiting for that, perfectionism and procrastination are are beautiful bedfellows, and neither one of them is good. So um, I've had to I've had to sort of be like, yeah, that's that's cool. I mean, good is okay. It doesn't have to be great all the time. I want it to be, but get it done, get it I, out there. Yeah, I know what you mean because I have this perfectionistic tendency or personality, I guess you could say, and I want it to be a certain way. And also I'm not very good with procrastination because every time I go to procrastinate something, my grandfather's words of wisdom keep coming, crashing back into the forefront of my mind. And it jolts me and says, okay, well, I'm not going to procrastinate on this. And so therefore I don't, which then leads into the perfectionistic side of things, which is a hard hard case to navigate <laughs> in life, but I, I completely understand. And tr it probably drives myself crazy as well as some of my family when they do see it, they're like, well, you, you got to slow down a little bit, Jay, just. Yeah, exactly. And I think, um, I think sometimes, especially in today's society, we, we lean towards thinking more is more, more is better rather than less is better. If you do the things you do better. Yep. You don't have to do all of the things all of the time. Um, but yeah, that that perfectionism procrastination combo, it's it's a delightful one, isn't it? So fantastic. <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> so the, the interesting thing is like, how do you know whether you're actually a good actor versus a great actor? Like how do, how do you distinct? I don't know if you ever know that. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. At. Um, that's a great question. I don't know that I, I don't, I don't know. Um, I mean, you could obviously depend on the assessment of others, but sometimes that's a popularity contest. Sometimes that's a a different, you know, sometimes that's a different thing. Sometimes that's who's in the spotlight at the time and doesn't necessarily mean that they are better than someone else who's at the same level. They're just, they're just, they happen to be the person at that time. Yeah. I don't really know. I don't really know. I think for me, it's less about good versus great than just keep getting better. Yeah. I can tell when I'm doing better. That I can tell. I can tell when things become easier, when things are in flow. I can tell when um, when it feels inspired versus when it feels you know, rehearsed or stilted. Um, it's way more fun the better you get. Um, the rehearsal process and the putting things together process can be maddening because that's when you tear it apart and try to figure it out. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't know the answer to that question. I don't know how you know when you're a great actor. Uh, mostly because I think some of the greatest actors in the world don't still have those moments where they feel like imposters. So uh, I don't think it's a consistent thing. Um, For me, it's just the occasional, Oh, look, you did a good job. Okay, cool. Nice job. Let's keep going. Yeah, I think you you raise a very interesting point there because there are some, well, I believe great actors that have never won, say, an Oscar, or they they miss out all the time. So, it's but like, that's often, I I really don't think of awards as um, as a as a meter or as a, a a measure of people's greatness because only one person, just like the audition, there may be a hundred people going out for it and only one person can get it. That doesn't mean the ninety nine or lesser actors. They mean they're just not the one that got picked. Yeah. And I think it's the same for, for awards. Um, it's always very exciting and it's always very fun and it's always cool to be nominated for things and even cooler to win them. But ultimately it, I think the, the, it's not always a meritocracy. I hate to say, it. um, uh, and, uh, we just have to, I think, take that as a, with a grain of salt. Well, it's kind of like your, your peers dictate whether or not you're worthy to win the award based on a, a performance that you've quite done. And then we go ahead and then we put in there sort of when we announce them, we say Academy Award winner or Oscar winner, mm-hmm. such and such. But that doesn't classify or Academy Award nominee or whatever it is. But that doesn't classify whether or not someone else is a great actor. You know what I mean? Like it's and and, and I think those titles, those titles are very important in in all fields. Like let's take authors. There, there, there are incredible authors and there are authors who are incredible and have the title best-selling author. Does that mean that that other author is not as good? No, they might just not have been able to get it marketed. But that title, I think it's very useful uh, uh, for, for not just marketers, but for people, for producers, for publishers. It's a useful thing to look at and say, okay, well, this person is proven to be someone that people enjoy. This is proven to be someone whose work people enjoy. So if that is the case, you can reasonably expect that you will get a good product on the other side. 
So I think it's more about putting butts in the seats or getting books sold or all of those things. And not in a, not in a gross way, in a great way. It lets the audience know like, Hey, this person's going to do a good job. Whether you like the movie or not, they're going to do well. Um, this author is going to put out something of substance, whether it does well or not. And sometimes, you know, sometimes we all uh, end up putting out a clunker, uh, no fault of our own. Sometimes it's, uh, it's just a, a project just doesn't hit. Um, but those, those titles feel good. And I think they are very useful in terms of ex- uh, uh, describing a career. Um, but like, you know, I'm a best selling author and I don't feel like I'm the greatest author in the world. I am, uh, that it just happens to be numerically the thing that happened. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think it's useful, but it's not necessarily uh, across the board. This person's amazing. Yes, I'm an author. Uh, if you can see in, in the background, that's my book in the Path middle. Of the Eagle. Oh, look at you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Path of an Eagle. So that one didn't become a bestseller. It didn't go as wild as what I thought it would, but people that read it, they enjoy it. And that for me is far more valuable than having this title, even though it does bring a little bit of credibility to myself. But mm-hmm. I think having people, a personal opinion far outweighs a lot of the things. So, yeah. It's also why I love doing um, conventions like Comic-Cons and stuff like that, because it's it's the first time in my life I've had access to really speaking one-on-one in person with this many people who have either seen the shows I'm in or, or played the games that I'm in, and you can really get that feedback from them. And when you hear those kinds of stories, it's just it really helps fuel you so that when the times are harder and you don't necessarily want to do it or whatever, in the back of your mind, you're like, no, this is someone likes this. Someone needs this today. Go do it. It lines you up, doesn't it? It really does. It really does. And, and I think it's also, you know, speaking of the artistic process, I think it's also natural for a lot of us to question our skill and, and and deal with imposter syndrome. And when you do have moments like that, where people will come up to you and tell you how affected they were by your book or by your podcast. Um, if it's anything like what I've experienced, when you do have that, then I, I kind of remind myself, I'm like, okay, you know what? It is not my job to judge the thing I'm doing. It's my job to put it out. Yeah, That's my job. My job is to get, get that creation out because that's the only person that can do that unique form of creation is me. So, I'll let everybody else make a judgment whether they like it or not. And and so when you get that feedback, it becomes less about um, the voices in our head. Yep. So how did, uh, so you've got the TV show on YouTube, I Am Fun Size, and then you decided to write a book about it. I did. I did. I, from the beginning of the series, I had had some people who were saying, oh, you should make this a book. And I was like, I got too many things going on, not happening, blah, 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 blah. Like I didn't, I just didn't want to do it. The bottom line, I didn't want to write a book at the time. And then last year, there was a point when um, I was actually struggling to to put out more episodes. There was something about it that wasn't exciting me. And I realized part of what it was, was I really wanted to expand on a lot of the things that we had talked about in a way that I was feeling like that medium wasn't necessarily serving. Yeah. And um, I happened to have a period of time when I was like, mm, yeah, I've got like this much free time in the day, this tiny amount of free time in the day. Let's get started on this. And three weeks later, I had a book. And uh, so I would, you know, wake up at 4 a.m., write until about 8, 8.30, and then go on with my day. And so it wasn't like, ooh, something suddenly motivated me to do it was like, yeah, cool. I'm going to do this. Now, now feels right. 
Um, which I honestly think is the only way it would get done. Because if I put a lot of weight on the projects I'm doing and a lot of expectations on them, they just don't get done. Yeah. You know, if, if I think, Oh, this has to be the absolute best thing and it has to do this, it has to do that. Then I like spiral. So better to just, for me, better to just say, huh, this feels, this feels right right now. Let's do this now. So it came out. Sorry. i sorry to cut you off there. I'm like (laughs) writing a book is no easy thing to do. So the fact that you wrote this book in three weeks is well done. <laughs> well, thank you. I mean, I, I do think it was easier than writing fiction uh, because so many of the stories came from my own life and a lot of the topics came from the show. And I don't want to diminish the accomplishment, but I do want to say that like there was a structure kind of already there and I knew what I wanted to say. Um, and the way, the tone of voice that uh, I took in the in the book was very much like the conversation we're having right now. It's a conversation with a friend. Yeah. Like I said earlier, the the main goal of the book and of me, but the main goal of the book is really to let people know they're not alone. They're not alone, whether it's that whether it's because someone else has felt what they are feeling or gone through what they're feeling, or it's just because someone's there to hold their hand, someone's there to sing a song, someone's there to crack a joke, someone's there to cheer them on. Um, And having that very easy and very simple goal. Um, simple. I shouldn't say not. It's not easy. It's not easy to necessarily remind people, all get people to really feel that they are not alone. But um, that very specific goal, um, and knowing I wanted it to be very conversational, I think also made it kind of fall out on the page pretty easily. In my opinion, they're probably the most powerful books because I love personal stories. This is just my opinion, right? Like the kind of books that I want to read. So I did the very similar thing with my own book and um yeah so i i know what it's know what it's like to try and help people realize they're not alone and i think it is, a, is an important message and it's a powerful message uh to send out to a lot of people because yeah a lot of people feel like they're alone so and i i realized this recently and i don't i have no shame in in, in saying it publicly i was i was talking with my husband i was like you know how People often say the worst decisions I made, I made when I was drunk. And he said, yeah. He said, yeah. And he said, I think the worst decisions I ever made for myself, I made when I felt like I was alone. Mm. I wasn't necessarily alone, but I felt alone. I felt unmoored. I felt untethered. I didn't feel like I had a sense of connection to other people. And that can be, a it's a, it's a hard place to thrive from um, when you don't necessarily feel that. And it doesn't have to be that you have a gazillion people around you. It just it's just a connection to something or someone that makes you not so much worried about what's going on inside this shell of ours, but focused on the outside world and, and the and that connection. So so that's another part of the reason why that mission is so important to me. What does the title mean to you? So, okay. I'm very excited you asked that. So I am fun size and so are you. Um, fun size, obviously, in the world at large is something that we use to describe like tiny candy bars, tiny things, right? And I, as a five foot tall uh, female, have been often, you know, there's all sorts of monikers and get fun size, bite size, pint size, all that. But when I was first coming up with this series, right around the time that I put out that first episode, I it, it hit me that Fun size isn't just about small things or a specific demographic because we are all built for fun. We're all built to have amazing lives. We're built to have a huge experience here. 
So technically we're all fun size, but the challenge is that the world around us or people around us or our circumstances or the voices in our own head sometimes have a way of making us feel small inside or constricted or scared or alone. And so saying I am fun size and so are you for me is basically reminding people, Hey, there is nothing about you that isn't built to have an amazing life and an amazing life of your choosing an amazing life that you decide is amazing because it's what you want, not because it's what someone else wants. Just because you can have it all in today's society doesn't mean you have to have it all. What, what lights you up? What makes you feel big on the inside? What brings out your energy? Um, that's a much more uh, powerful thing to me than anything physical that we can have. Um, and that's another reason why the, the, you know, the subtitle of the book is thoughts from a tiny human on living a giant life, because it really doesn't matter. I, I, I say in the book, you know, I, I am, you know, I'm a petite human being, but I don't think there's anyone I know who would say that I have a small personality. And I think that comes from being able to cultivate even in sad moments, even in small moments, being able to cultivate that sense of, no, I'm, I'm bigger than, than this flesh and bone package. Um, so that's, that's what it means to me. Let your personality light up. Yeah. And your heart and your experience, it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't look like any one thing. It's a feeling. And I think everybody gets that feeling from different things. Mm. So whatever each person gets that feeling from, that's the thing. Whatever puts you in that flow state is your flow. Whatever lights you up is your thing. It could be neuroscience. It could be the arts. It could be running. It could be playing with dogs. It's definitely playing with dogs. Um, it could be anything. What is, what is the thing that lights you up and feel like you have a purpose in the world and feel like you have a, you are excited to be here on the planet. That's fun. Mm. That's, that's fun. You got Charlie, the wonder dog, right? Yes, Charlie, the best dog. What sort of dog is he? <laughs> he is the cute kind. Uh, he is a, a Chihuahua Pomeranian, and I think a little bit of a terrier, but he looks like a, a fox. Huh. Looks like he looks like a little tan fox, uh, <laughs> and he's freaking adorable and smart and funny. I sound like I'm talking about my husband. Um, he's he's just he's just this delightful little creature that I never in a million years realized would completely change my life. And I know anybody who who has owned a pet or multiple pets has has experienced that feeling of 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 that with uh with their little guy or gal. So yeah, good little pup. Yeah, I've got three German shepherds. So oh, wow. Well, not I've had three German shepherds in my lifetime. So we've got one now. We we can only have one in the household. <laughs> it's just one is enough. Like I, I would absolutely max out at two dogs. I don't have the capacity to handle multiple creatures. Me either. I mean, we're a German Shepherd or nothing kind of family. I, I love other dogs too. Don't get me wrong, but I think for us, German Shepherds is is where home is. And mm -hmm. uh, my my one, wherever she is, she probably she probably like start barking and run in and say, "Jay, come on, give me a cuddle." <laughs> uh, at yeah, some point. Uh, I think Charlie is at the studio with his papa right now. Oh. He's at the studio. They're, they're just such beautiful creatures. I, I, I really, really believe that. Like really wholesome, really just unique. And mm -hmm. we're blessed though to have dogs, honestly. I don't know what I'd do without my one. 
completely agree with you. And I do think that we can learn a lot from them. Mm -hmm. Um, It seems silly to say, but it is 100% true. Part of how I learned how to love myself is by watching how I treat my dog. Yep. Because it does not matter come rain or come shine. There could be a bone sticking out of my leg. It doesn't matter. I'm going to make sure that dog is walked. I'm going to make sure he's fed. I'm going to make sure he feels loved. Um, We don't always do that for ourselves. And I didn't even understand what it meant. You have to love yourself when people used to say that. And I would get so annoyed because no one tells you what it means. Mm -hmm. But for me, it very much meant, oh, the way you love your husband and the way you love your dog, the way you love your loved ones, you got to turn that in on yourself sometimes. You don't have to like yourself. You can be annoyed at yourself, but you still got to do the things that help you grow. You still got to do the things that are good for you, Um, good for your soul, good for your heart, good for your everything. All I have to do is look at Alita Joy's eyes, which is the name of my dog, and my heart will just melt and she gets away with blue murder. So (laughs) if if she gets in trouble from mum, she'll come running to me and because she knows that she'll be protected. Yeah, that's funny. It's funny. Our our little guy in his... uh, in his, I don't want to say his old age because he's not old, but like as he has, as he has grown more and especially through the pandemic, now his big thing is the whole pack has to be paying attention to me. The whole pack, me, mom and dad. If mom isn't here, then it's not cool. If dad isn't here, it's not cool. We all got to be together and you got to both be paying attention to me. Um, it's a very clear and hilarious thing, but it's also good again, because I think they, they train us to look outside the the work and the everything where we can get really caught up in stuff and be like, Hey, you know what? Take a walk. Yeah. Cool off. Play with me for a second. It might change your day. Yeah. Uh, did you name your dog Alita after the um, uh, uh, movie and the, the graphic novel? Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you got it. <laughs> I love that. Uh, I love that so much. What a great movie that was. So, actually, so- it's a funny story because we're actually at the, the breeder's house. And we're trying to figure out what to name our new dog. So they had the TV on. And at the time, the uh, trailer for Alita had just come on. And I I go, Alita, that's an interesting name. So I looked it up what it meant. Uh, It means little winged one in Spanish. So we looked at Alita. She was jumping off the couch and thinking that she could fly. She was a little like... (laughs) <laughs> Daredevil almost. So we're like, you know that you know what? That name perfectly fits. Now the middle name, Joy, is it derives from our old dog, which we lost in 2019. Her her name was Joy. And so Alita Joy means we're bringing the the joy back in. She's flown it back into our hearts because we had missed out on it. And she just lives up to her name every Aww. single day. Love that. What a great story behind that name. Yeah. But I'm glad you got the the Alita Battle Angel. Yeah, absolutely. It's cool. It's a very, very cool story. We have a friend in that movie. Our friend Jeff Fahey was in that movie too, which... Was he? uh, Oh, that's cool. It's it's one of my favorite movies. We watch it every single year. pretty darn amazing. Like the effects, the fight scenes, the whole thing. I'm a big fantasy fiction geek myself, which is part of why I do so much of what I do in the gaming world. Um, Because I just love, I love fantasy fiction and science fiction for a lot of reasons, but not the least of which is 
you can learn things or or uh, convey things through fantasy fiction and science fiction, particularly science fiction, I think. You can convey things about the human spirit and about the human condition and about society in a very direct way, but in a universe that is slightly adjacent of the one that we're in. So people can take it in because it's fiction, but you still get the lesson. You still get the observation. Um, my favorite uh, example in recent years of that is The Expanse, um, because in in the age of The Expanse, OK, racism is gone, but now there's planetism. That that desire in that weird desire in in humanity uh, to, you know, create these striations and create these levels and create this sense of superiority over over other people, which is not a great thing. Um and but they could talk about that and they could deal with that and other sociopolitical issues, but it, it doesn't, it's not right in our face because it is a universe that's parallel to ours. So I, I really like that. It's one of the reasons I love um tabletop role-playing games as well. Because you can really explore the depths of humanity through through that improvised kind of game. Yeah. I'm sort of old school fantasy, like Lord of the Rings yep. type thing. And yep. and even some new fantasy uh, shows and and movies, I find that I just love being. I love the Elysium for whatever reason. I think that was oh, yeah, yeah. that was a weird movie, but I liked it. Yeah, <laughs> it was, everybody's got their thing, you know. You know, everybody so. everybody's got their thing. For me, um, Dune was my favorite book. Yeah, I love Dune. The, the new movie yeah. was great. I, I love how they. Um, unique so not it was not the book and it was not the previous movies it definitely has its own storytelling style and its own and it's telling its story uh, telling the story in its own way but yeah um anything that Denis Villeneuve creates I'm I'm there for it like Prisoners just was incredible um except for the uh, Blade Runner 2049 I, I didn't I watched it with my dad in the, in the movies and I was just like itching to get out. It was probably the the only movie I wanted to get out, maybe because I didn't fully understand it, but I respect Denise style nonetheless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally, <laughs> yeah. totally. I get that. But anyway, I, I, I digress. I know how busy you are, Anjali. I want to ask you my final question, if that's all right oh, with yeah. you. Okay. Gotcha. Um, this is my all-time favorite question. I love asking all my guests at the very end. It okay, is I'm a afraid. hypothetical one. Okay. But I, I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you've okay. been able to reach the age of 100. All your <laughs> friends and your family have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how in the world they got it all. We'll call <laughs> it magic for the sake of argument. But they've been able to get it and show it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? I know we've said it so many times already today, but I I wanted to show me being there for other people. Mm-hmm. I wanted to show me be in, in every way I possibly can, whether it's listening, whether it's sharing stories, whether it is performing for people so that they can have experiences that they don't necessarily get to have, um, talking to people at conventions until I lose my voice because I just want to learn about them and what's their story and what's exciting about them. Um, it really is I, I, being an actor. 
or choosing the path of an actor, I should say, or an artist in, in general can be a very, it's a very lonely and self-serving path if you don't find a way to make it a service. Um, and, and I think it is. I really think it is. It gives other people a chance to live lives that they haven't had a chance to have and maybe see things in themselves that they didn't have a chance to see. And so if I've been able to do that over the course of my life, I mean, it's it, that is a life well lived. That's that's a legacy I would be very, very proud of. Yeah, it's a good send off message for people. Where can they find you, Anjali, and connect? Oh, you? over the interwebs. Um, you can find me at Sweet Anj uh, with three E's, S-W-E-E-E-T-A-N-J on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Uh, you can find me at my name, Anjali Bamani, on Facebook. Uh, I have a forward-facing email address for, for, for the general public. That's Anjali at IamFunSize.com. And then the book, you can find uh, the ebook on Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com. You can find the audiobook on Audible or Amazon. And you can find the paperback on Amazon or I'm doing signed copies and unsigned copies uh, on my store, uh, which is Streamily.com slash Anjali Bamani. And the cool thing about buying it there, whether you get a signed copy or an unsigned copy, is that a portion of all proceeds seeds will be going to the underdog community project mm. community project shall i say this clearly because i am an actor um uh, which is a an organization that is uh providing free veterinary care to the pets of unhoused people here in los angeles it's a really great really great organization wow this makes me have so much more respect for you right now and even though i've got oh, so much already so. it's so easy it's so easy. There's so many ways. And, and I do, maybe this is not the, I, I hope this doesn't mess up the end of your show. There are so many ways to make your dollar worth more than a dollar when you spend it in this world. Go on Amazon, do Amazon smile. So a portion of your proceeds, anything that you sell or, or buy goes to a particular charity. There are so many ways you can do that. There are Kickstarters. There are if if there's a small business in your area that's giving the same service than large big box store, be a patron of that store and help them out. There's so many ways to do it. The reason I specifically chose this organization is because the big charities, they got they have the money. Yeah. It's the small local ones that really need our help. They need our support to to be able to do the work that they're doing on the ground. They don't need to be spending their time looking for money. They need to be spending their time doing the good that they're doing. So uh, I think we can all I think it's very easy these days, especially with the internet, it's very easy um, to be able to give while you're also getting. I think you're awesome. And thank you so much for your time, your wisdom, your advice, and for joining me today on the Storybox podcast. Thank you so much for having me. And good luck to you too. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started 